We are now about to uh, starting a, a brand new um, series today. And uh, uh, we're excited. And, and if you're on the fence on this Christianity thing, if you're here, you just kind of got drug here. Maybe you're honoring a mom. Maybe you're just maybe you're just here doing that. And you're like, I just want to get through this service. Guess what? You picked a great service to be at Celebration Church. Because we understand that people are, people are learning in this and they're growing in this. And I, I'm hoping that this will help you begin to understand some of the practicals of what it means to live a life of faith. And so let's just go ahead and get into this. If you have your Uversion app, your notes should be up and ready on that. And you've got the bulletin. You can just track along. Because we need to understand this. And, and I really believe, and I've referred to this through the years, as this scripture we're going to be mulling on for a while, it is honestly the, the hinge pin for our mortal existence. We have to recognize this. And if we don't embrace this and understand this truth, we are going to be batted all over the place. Life is going to happen to us instead of us engaging and living life. Because we have to understand that we have the power of choice. That's part of us being made in the image of God. That we have the power of choice. We don't live like animals do based on instinct and these internal drives. We have the power of choice. We have the ability to, to rationalize and to think and to make decisions. What a huge, huge thing. A huge privilege, a huge freedom, and honestly a huge responsibility. And as choosers, God desires us to choose life. He designed us for life. We're hardwired for life. When he created the Garden of Eden, he created it a perfect place for our lives to be at their fullest. And he placed us in a place for life. And even at that place, we had a choice. Choice is not a concept of fallen humanity. We were hardwired from day one with the power of choice. That's why he talked to Adam and Eve and showed Adam and said, look, here are all this good stuff in the garden. Even back then, he said, hey, there's gold up in this area, up in the river Pishon. There, there's some gold up there, pointed out that. He, he showed them all of these different stuff and said, here's this one tree. Don't eat it. Choose all the other ones. Don't, don't eat from this one. That's the one that has the knowledge of good and evil. They just lived in the realm of good and all of a sudden an understanding of evil was going to come in and it is such a big deal. God wants us to choose life. He wants to set us up to win. That's it. He, that's what he wants for us. But we still have to make the decision. Now, in, in the line of Mother's Day, I thought this was a pretty cute little story because there was a second grade teacher that had been covering some science and wanted to set his students up for a win. Wanted them to have one question that they would get right on the test. So they'd been studying magnets and magnetism and all those different things, having the fun with doing the little experiments and seeing what they'd pick up and what they wouldn't pick up. So he creates this question without thinking through second grade minds. Okay? And he creates this question, and this question went as follows. My full name has six letters. The first one is M. I pick up things. What am I? Of course, it should be magnets. But half the class wrote mother. 
from a second grade world. My goodness, from a 39-year-old world. I still rely on my wife. That's one of, the th- what's one of our battles is somehow my wife says, I, can, I, I come up six inches short with my socks to get right to the edge of the pantry or the hamper and just kind of lay right there. And, uh, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to steal all her thunder. She gets to, like, just be the hero and dump them in there. And that, that, that I'm, it's an assist on my end. She gets the score. I get the assist. That's not the way it works, is it? Uh, yeah. I didn't think I was going get to get that one. But we have to understand that, that, that cho- choosing is a big deal. And honestly, I, there's this kind of this uh, phrase that I've been hearing some of, the, some of our youth throw around. And I, I don't know where it came from. It may be tons of people using it. Uh, but this concept of first world problems. And, and I kind of like that because it reminds us that there are people in the world that don't have the stuff that sometimes we whine about that really aren't worth whining about. But really in our first world culture, we make lots of choices all the time that other people in the world just, they don't make these choices. And we get so bombarded with decision making that we slip into it without thinking all the time. And we can honestly forget the power of choice. You just go to dinner. Went to dinner with some friends last night. I got to look at the big decide what I'm going to eat and then decide on a steak and then how is it going to be cooked and what sides do I want and on my baked potato and what do I want on my baked potato and then what do I want to drink and therefore you want tea well you want sweet tea or unsweet tea and all of these different choices and it's just decision after decision after decision and we can just get in this loop and forget that there's a bunch of our decisions that have major major consequences have big ramifications there's a bunch of seemingly tiny decisions that in their cumulative nature have major, major consequences. So since we're in that place, we've got to understand that God wants us to choose life. Deuteronomy 30, 19, and 20. This is God reminding his people. He's setting this out. He says, this day I call heaven, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. All of creation is holding us accountable to this idea. Everything that's ever been created is holding us accountable to this concept right here that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Choose life. Please, people, choose life. That's what God's saying. Choose life. So that you and those that are watching your choices, your children. It's not just that you make life-giving choices that affect them immediately. It's that they're watching your choice patterns. Choose life so that you and your children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God and listen to His voice and hold fast to Him. Remember? We, around here, we talk about loving God and loving others. We want to know God better and we want to trust Him more. This decision plays a big role. So that you may love the Lord your God and listen to His voice and hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life. And He will give you many years in the land He swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then John 10.10, 10, a very famous scripture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
here way back at the very beginning when Israel was first a nation. It's choose life. Jesus shows up, God incarnate. And he says, guess what? I've come that you may have life. It is this consistent message throughout the scriptures that we ha- God wants us to choose life. So this series called Chooser, we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at some people that made some big decisions. Sometimes in the moment, they didn't realize how, how monumental their decision. And this one right here is one of those. That it just is this watershed decision. Because we're going to look and we can learn a lot about choosing life by looking at the actions of a loving mother. Her name is Jochebed. And a lot of people may not recognize that off the top. But as soon as we say her son's name, Moses, we begin, if we have a little bit of Bible knowledge, we begin to recognize, wow. Okay, Moses, that was a pretty, pretty pivotal man. Leads the children of people out of Israel, gets them right on to the cusp of the promised land. He writes the first five books of the Old Testament. He is, plays this central, huge role. And Jochebed, his mother, does some incredible things and makes some life-giving decisions early, early at the beginning of Moses' life. And one of the first things we need to understand is that choosing life means choosing to pursue life. Choosing to go after it. Choosing to make a motion in that direction. So many times we want things brought to us. We want to ring the little bell and have the, 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 the waiter of life drop wonderful things at our feet. But one of the first things we need to understand is that we've got to pursue it. We've got to go after it. That's why, that's why it's that Deuteronomy 30, 19, I've said before you, life and death, blessings and curses, choose life, go after life. We have to get this. Now, we're about to get into this story, and we're honestly, you're about to be a wonderful Bible scholar when this is done on the story of Moses and his mother. We're going to look at this story and everything that the scriptures reference to it. So we're about to get a complete knowledge of this before we're done this morning. But we have to understand a little backstory, okay? That Moses and his family are in Egypt because there are generations before a man named Joseph who got sold into slavery there, ended up there because he was a phenomenal man and God's favor was on him. He rises up from slavery all the way to he's the prime minister of Egypt. He's ruling everything other than the Pharaoh himself. God utilizes a spirit of wisdom within him to preserve the nation of Egypt through a horrible drought. And actually, uh, Joseph's uh, family come and they connect. And they're there in the place. There is his father Israel or Jacob. And all of his brothers and their family, they come and they stay there and they've got a ton of favor. They've got a ton of favor. They're, they're, they're good for a pretty good while. And then they, 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 have a, they have a lot of babies. I didn't realize that Clark was a Hebrew name, but apparently it is. And so, uh, <laughs> and so but uh, had a lot of kids. And uh, all of these, and they began to expand and they go in just a handful of people, 70-something people, and hundreds of years later, they look up and there's millions of these Hebrew people running all over Egypt. They have their own culture, their own customs, all of these different things. And the Egyptians begin to freak out. 
and they say, you know what? They've already made a decision to oppress them and to make them slaves. And they begin to go, you know what? If we don't do something about this, if we don't begin to manage the population here, they could turn on us and they, they, could, they could take over the whole place. So they begin something that is just absolutely gut-wrenching, mind-blowing. And here they, Pharaoh makes a decision and says, all right, at this point, I want all of the baby boys that are born to be immediately killed. And the baby is born, the little girls can live, they're not going to be soldiers, they're not going to be those different things. We're going to take the boys and we're going to kill them immediately. And so this massacre begins to take place in the land of Egypt with the Hebrews. And that is what's taking place. That there now that the, the, the order has come down. And now we pick up the story here in Exodus 2 1. It says, Now a man of the Bible, I mean of the tribe of Levi, married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. He was supposed to have been killed upon birth. She, they, they hide him. They all, but, of course, you can't hide a baby for forever. So they hide him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and with pitch. And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds in the bank of the Nile. Now, if you've seen the Disney version of this, it makes for great drama. The big song, Deliver Us, playing, and uh, the, the little, I know, I'm terrible at singing, but I had to communicate it. And here comes the basket, and she like floats it out onto the water, and it goes through, and like the hippos almost knock it over, and there's the crocodiles and the big boats. And it does all this floating and there's the big scene and all the awesome songs. And then it eventually finds its way and God's hand of guidance was on that. Um, That's not what the Bible says. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. This mama was strategic. She wanted her boy to live and she did everything within her power to pursue life for him. She takes it. She makes the basket. She puts the tar and all that stuff all over it. She gets her hands dirty and gets it ready. And she takes him and she puts it among the reeds in the Nile. She puts it, yes, in the water. She puts it where it looks like it was just kind of floated on down the river. But she sticks it among the reeds. And there are all of these little little shoots and stuff holding it right where it'll be. And then let's keep reading. Then his sister... Miriam, we find out later, stood at a distance to see what would happen. So mama places it, puts the sentinel right there. Miriam's peeking around, watching to see what's going to take place. Because there's another strategic piece that comes along. She didn't just, she didn't just place it among any old reeds at any old place on the Nile. It says, when the Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe, This was strategic. She knew that this was where she was going to go. This is the Pharaoh's daughter. This is royalty. It has to be a secured area. She goes and places it. And as Pharaoh's daughter comes in and goes down to the Nile and her attendants are walking along the riverbank, she, Pharaoh's daughter, saw the basket. Where again? 
among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. And she opened it and she saw the baby and he was crying and she felt sorry for him. And she says this, this is one of the Hebrew babies. She recognized what had just transpired. There's a little Hebrew boy that ought to be dead. My daddy said this boy is, should be dead. But something awakened within Pharaoh's daughter. And she was like, Mm-mm. she had compassion. She felt sorry for him. She felt sorry for him. She pursued life. And, and Moses' mother placed it there strategically. One mama banking on the, that inward thing. That if this woman can see my baby boy, she's going to see how cute and how wonderful he is. And she's going to let him live. She let it all ride on that thing and she placed him there. She didn't float him out there. Some heartless mom sitting there, I I hope he's dead if I keep him, but maybe he'll live in the Nile. No, she was strategic. She placed him. She pursued life. She pursued life. We have to do that. We have to do what we can do. There are things that that are in our power to do and we have to do what we can do. It's amazing how mamas come in and make pivotal decisions that begin to change the course of a young person's life. There was a student that the teacher contacted his mom and said, you know what, your son can't learn. We're done with him. You're going to have to find something else to do with him. And actually went so far, and I can't believe that that he did this, but actually called him dumb to his mother insulting you don't do that to my dad you wouldn't do it to crystal clark and love <laughs> my mom's a pretty passive woman and you wouldn't do it to one of to her one of her kids and, and make it very far and so this mom said you know what i'm going to teach him myself and she begins to pour in her son and when it's all said and done we're pretty thankful for a lot of the things he did because this young man was named thomas edison and i think he had the ability to learn I think mama pursued something on his behalf. I think she made a difference. And when it was all said and done, are we thankful for all of the inventions that Edison gave her? Are we really thankful for a mama that wouldn't quit? I think we're thankful for that mom. That we have to pursue it. It takes these steps. It takes these acts of faith. See, Romans 1.17, we've been looking at this in our newcomers class. For the last four weeks, we'll look at it again on this Wednesday, that God's way of putting people right shows up in acts of faith, these motions, these decisions, these pursuits based on God's word, these acts of faith, confirming what the scripture has said all along, the person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives. This is why we want you to know God better and to trust him more, not so we can be more religious, but so we can really live. So we can break the bondage of all of our stupid decisions and we can be, be unchained and, and live in real life. That's why we want that. And see, Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith, her act is recorded as an act of faith. By faith, Moses' parents. You know, you read Exodus, Papa ain't showing up anywhere. <laughs> we just read, anybody see Daddy in there? Daddy probably maybe should have been doing the boat building or something. 
But mama's, mama's the one that did the pitch and all that. But all of a sudden, um, uh, daddy's getting some credit here. So obviously he, he had some role to play. And, uh, but I know I've got some credit for some stuff that my wife has, has done. And um, that by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. This was an act of faith. What they did in defying law at that point was an act of faith. We have to be willing to step out and to pursue. I've shared this story a kajillion times, but this was a, a big revelation moment for me. That there are things we just have to do. And I was years ago, I was doing some remodel in a different house, and we kind of always had projects going on. And I'd been working all day and was tired, and finally it was done. And I'd had my saw out and doing all my stuff in the in the working in the backyard, and and uh, finally get done, get into bed, lay down, and feel good. And as you, you know, when you're just about to go to sleep, all of a sudden stuff will just start hitting your head. And so, and as I'm laying there, just, and I remember my saw sitting outside. And there was a thread of rain. And so I'm laying there and I'm tired. And I just throw up this little prayer. I, I felt like I was doing something pretty spiritual. You know, I've got a problem. I'm going to God with it. And I said, I said, Lord, just, just protect my saw and take care of my saw. And, uh, man, I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me and just tell me that uh, I do what you can't do, not what you won't do. Because when it was all said and done, I didn't want to get out of bed. I was like, God, go do it. You know, you're, you're up. I'm tired. I'm tucked in here. Just handle my saw. Do you know what I did? I got out of bed. And went and got my saw and brought it in. And that just from that point on, that folks, there are things that the ball's in our court. Okay? We're not, I'm not talking about a works mentality. I'm not talking about leave, living legalistically. But I am talking about making decisions that pursue life. And there are times that the ball's in our court. And we've got to make these life-giving decisions. See, James 4, 17 says, If anyone then knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them, for that person. All of a sudden, all, that's why the new covenant is so much more, honestly, so much more accountable than even having the old covenant of a list. That we're like, oh, wow, we're, we got done with all of that. Woo-hoo, we don't have the list. And Jesus fulfilled the law, yes. But guess what he now did? He wrote the law in our heart. Ah, there's still this place of accountability there's still this place where he's telling us and where, where we need to respond and we need to walk in obedience, not to something hammered on, on stone or written on some lambskin, but something that's written there within our hearts, the good that we know to do. That's what we've got to do. That's what we have to do. We also have to understand that choosing life means choosing to nurture life. Most guys, we like to conquer and move on. We don't like this concept of maintenance. I love to do a project, make it look awesome, and then be done. I don't want to come back and have to, you know, I can redo my kitchen. I don't want to clean my kitchen. I can spend tons of time remodeling my kitchen, but once it's done, I don't want to, I don't want to mess with it again. I don't want to clean it and do all of that different stuff. 
But we have to, if we're going to pursue life, there are things, there's some maintenance part. There's some, there's some nurturing that we have to do. In Exodus 2, we see in Moses' story that then his sister, remember she was hiding, she was watching, and she takes her moment. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? I happen to know somebody that would be willing to do this. And she says, yes, go, she answered. And so the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. So now Moses' mom not only gets her little boy gets to live, she gets to take care of him and nurture him and be in his life whisper to him, sing to him, do all those different things a mama wants to do, and she gets paid to do it on top of it all. All of a sudden, uh, it shifts. All moms should get paid. All moms should get paid. We need to figure that out. We don't have that one figured out yet, but they should. It's obviously biblical. Um. But it's vital that they that it, we've got to nurture it. We've got to take care of it. We've got to. There are things we have to to care for. And part of us choosing life is to nurture life, to create an environment where life can grow, to to pour into these different things. We can't say, God, I want I want life in my marriage and not do things that lead to life in our marriage. Okay? We can't say, God, I want life in my finances and not do things that lead to life and nurture it and keep it healthy and, 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 and play some, some financial defense. Yeah, we play some offense. We go out and earn some money or make some investments or do those things. But then we also nurture it by protecting it and caring for it and letting it grow. All of these different things are come into choosing life in every area where we want to see it. This, role, this plays a role in our health. Yeah, there are things we have to we have to to go after some decisions we have to be proactive and pursue. But there's also some parts of nurturing in our relationships in every area. We have to do this. We see this as something that Jesus holds up in Luke ten thirty four. It says he went to him. This is the story of the good Samaritan that the good Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn and he took care of him. Yes, it was awesome that he saw him on the side of the road. Yes, that he, 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 he reacted, but then he continued to nurture and to pour into it. That's what we have to do. Thank goodness that we learn that from, from a, a loving mother. John ten fourteen says that, that Jesus is this way. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as a father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life. For the sheep. You want to see the kind of nurturing God wants to give? Then read Psalms 23. Not as from a funeral perspective. And yes, it plays a role there. But look at it for a life perspective of what God wants to do. He is our shepherd. We shall not want. He makes us lie down. He gets us to rest. He leads us beside still waters and takes us to the quiet places. He doesn't want our lives to be one big whirlwind to be some quiet moments and some care and some nurturing that's what he wants and that's why we can do first peter 5 7 cast all your anxiety on him why because he cares for you when it's all said and done i think that's that place where we kind of have a hard time trusting god because we're like 
does he really care? Does he really care? He does. He does care. And then the last piece we have to understand is that, yes, we've got to pursue. Yes, we have to nurture. But there's also this other place. That's why this life of faith, we can't say faith is just pursuing or faith is just taking care of things or faith is just this other piece that it's all of them. It's all of them. That choosing life isn't about control. It's about trust. This, to me, is one of the biggest moments here. This is one of the biggest moments. Man, I'll just tell you, Moses' mom, what a hero. Exodus 2.10 says, And then the child grew older, and she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She had him for three months. She nurtured him and hid him. Then she sticks him in the basket and she gets him back again. And she cared for him and she loved him. And she spoke to him and sang over him and did all the things moms do. And I guarantee you, she had a name for him. We don't know what it is. We have no history. We have no idea. I researched it. I looked all the Hebrew stuff. There, We can't find it. I guarantee you that she named him. That before those three months, he didn't go nameless before he went in the basket. He didn't go nameless in those other times. Had a name. And she trusted this other woman to name him. And we know that they were, everyone respected it. Because later on in the story, Moses gets hooked up with his older brother and his older sister later. And everybody calls him Moses. And we read here, it says, And she named him Moses. Which in Hebrew, she honored his culture. She honored his lineage. Pharaoh did. Pharaoh's daughter did. And in Hebrew, it means I drew him out of the water. He'd not been drawn out of the water until Pharaoh's daughter comes along. She trusted. What an incredible act. One of our most exciting things, and we still haven't decided exactly what the, the, the choices of this next little Clark is going to be, but immediately you find out that, oh, there's a life coming. And you begin to talk about names. That's one of the greatest gifts you get to give. It's one of the most wonderful things you get to do is, is name your child. That they're going to go around declaring that one gift for the rest of their lives. And another woman names her boy. And he gets respected and honored. In fact, when we see God interact with him at the burning bush in different places, God calls him Moses. God calls him what this, what this Pharaoh princess calls him. She trusted. See, just like my Saul story, where there, where what the Holy Spirit spoke spoke to me that that God does the things we can't do, not the things we won't do. And there are things in our lives that we have to be willing to do, but there are things we can't. There are relations. There are things that are outside of our control. There are things that we have to rely on God's promise and God's promise alone. And we have to be willing to do that. And Moses' mother did that. See, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. 
Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. You want to have some joy and some peace in your life? Here it is. As you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As you begin to trust Him, really trust Him, then it allows that hope to overflow and that peace and that joy to come in. That stuff that we're crying out for and we want anyways. It's found in trusting God and really doing it. And walking this place. That trusting God means we're going to do the things He's asked us to do. That trusting God means we're going to steward and we're going to nurture the things He's put in our care. And that trusting God means we're going to let Him handle the stuff that we're supposed to let Him handle. That is what living a life, that's what choosing life comes down to. See, God desires to take each of us forward with Him. And this forward growth happens choice by choice. Let's choose to follow Him and let's choose life. That's what this is about. And every service that we have, every celebration church service, we have put this decision out there. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, right now. And if you are disconnected, if you're away from God, then the choice sits. Life and death. Guess what? We're already in death. We're already there. It's not something that's waiting on us. We're already there without Christ. We're not earning it. We are, it's, our, we're the, it's where we're born. But if we will embrace the life that's ours in Christ, then we step over from death to life. And that's the choice today. And if you haven't made that decision, we can do that right now. And you have to simply say, you know what? I want what Jesus Christ did for me. I want his death to count for my sin. He did it. He, he paid a death. And I want his death to cover my sin. And now I want his life to be my life. And with everybody heads down and we want to create a quiet moment, I want you to just raise your hand if that you want that today.